At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Just another week of your daily dose, or I guess no, another week of your weekly dose of psychiatric therapy, I guess, if, if that's what we want to call it. Presley Meyer, Jake Hook, starting 502 podcast. Jake, uh, any positive things happen to you this week? Because I'm struggling to find, especially in the, you know, outside of work and personal life world, there's a, there's not a lot of positives happening uh, between Lamar and, and, and the playoffs, which, you know, I don't even know if I want to talk about that. Uh, the, just the complete debacle of, of of the AFC Championship game and my annoyance levels rising to an all time high. Uh, Louisville basketball, not a lot to write home about. Uh, any positives? First of all, how are you? And second of all, anything anything positive happening in your life? I'm good. Yeah, I after that AFC Championship, NFC Championship, obviously cheering for the Ravens, and then was cheering for Detroit just because they're a great story. Obviously, both of those didn't happen, and I was listening to a podcast on Monday, and I was just getting annoyed because they were all talking about the AFC Championship and the NFC Championship, and I was like, I got to listen to a different podcast that doesn't talk about sports. Turns out I don't follow any podcasts that don't talk about sports, so I need to uh, I need to diversify my listening portfolio. Um, I got approved for a home loan. So hey, had a kid. Now I just have three months to find a house, so cool, cool. There you go. Uh, that, that shouldn't be an issue in this market at all, man. That's easy. Good. Easy peasy. Um, well, that's great, man. See, that's very positive news. See, uh, we all have positive news going on in our personal lives. But when we want to take a break, when we want to rep- reprieve, if you will, um, from, you know, the, the hard parts of life, we've often turned to Louisville basketball as, you know, supporters, listeners of this podcast, of, of this fan base and what have you. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> it's so difficult in this like, the, by the way, this this. January, for whatever reason, has felt like three months. I don't know why. I know it happens every year, but it's like each month slowly gets shorter. And like January is long. February is long. It's just three days shorter. So it's just by nature, it's just slightly shorter. March gradually starts to go faster. And then by the time you get to July, the rest of the year just flies by. But January is so slow. Part of that has to do with it's just disgusting outside. Like we haven't seen, I, I don't know if you guys have in Bowling Green, but we haven't seen the sun this entire month no nope, um, haven't haven't had a sunny it, day at all and it, it's no better you know like you know i traveled the country like i've been in 
many, many different cities and states over the last month. And there's not been sun there either. Uh, so, you know, we, typically we have this reprieve from the disgustingness that is January and the, you know, the, the recovering from the gluttony of December and, and, and November, right? Uh, and kind of a repenting of that. And our really own, our only outlet outside of our personal lives uh, is sports. And right now, sports is sucking as well. Um, not a lot of fun, but there's some fun stuff to kind of get into. I think Jake and I, and and I, I think all of you, I think we're just tired of talking about this basketball team. We'll touch lightly on Louisville basketball on the on the court, but I mean, since the last time we spoke, folks, it, it feels like it's gotten it, it continues to get worse and worse. Uh, and, and you know, we could talk about injuries and all that, and we'll get into that. But I mean. It's just like we could not be limping to the finish any more than, than, than we are right now. It's just disgusting. But one thing that's been interesting to me um, in, in this, you know, tenuous um, kind of in between of, you know, Kenny Payne purgatory, if you will, uh, is the bring Brom home guy. <laughs> and I know we might be the only podcast that talks about this, but I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I'm losing sleep over it, Jake. Like, I need to know who this guy is at this point. Reason I, I, I say that if, if you, and obviously we have a lot of listeners that don't come from Twitter or Facebook or wherever this guy happens to be. If you don't know, if you've been living under a rock or you're a smart person and you stay off social media as much as possible, there's this guy. He's called bring Brum home, or I guess now he's brought Brum home and starting in what? And end of 2022, something like that. Yep. Every Louisville related tweet, or non wolver related tweet, or he's he's, he's commenting under account. he's commenting under Joe Biden tweets yeah. now. Yeah, he he comments on, on, under anybody that that is willing to listen and won't block or or mute him or whatever. Hashtag bring Brom home, and he did this over and over. What forty thousand, fifty thousand, sixty thousand times over the course of like two three months, like just would not stop. He's DMing people. He's responding to a tweet. And then liking his own tweet and then retweeting his own tweet and then commenting his own retweet of a tweet, bring Brom home. And it's all the same stuff. Every once in a while, he'll offer some candor. He'll offer some responses of why he feels this way. Uh, I think when it was the when he was truly the BBH guy, I think he became an annoyance. But then once Brom was actually hired, once everything happened, like no, nobody expected that to happen. Right. People thought that there was a chance that Scott Satterfield would, would stay. And then he left, creating a loophole of sorts for Louisville to have the money and resources to be able to bring in Jeff Brum. So it just the way it worked, all of a sudden he's a he's a local, it's local fo- folklore, right? He's a he's a hero. He's you know he, he's I mean it, it was a actually a good story. I mean Josh Hurd mentioned it in in Jeff Brum's introductory press conference. So after all this though. What does BBH guy have to do? You know, now he becomes brought Brum home. He could have rode off into the sunset and been this beloved figure. But as it goes, often it's it's those that, you know, you either live long enough to see yourself become the hero or what, what, what's the what's the, what's the, the, the phrase you either. Uh, Isn't it, uh, it, Uncle Ben says it in the original yeah. Spider-Man, right? I can't remember what it is. Yeah, live long enough 
or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I don't really know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, you're, you're Whatever on, it we're, is. We're, we're there. But yes, but he's in the stage now where he's becoming the villain. I say this because he decided, what, two to three months ago that all of a sudden he's going to be taking other stance. He's still the bring Brom home guy or the brought Brom home guy. Like, that's his platform now. People follow him because he was the brought Brom home guy. And now he is the Mick is the pick guy. Mick Cronin. It's all about Mick Cronin. It, no matter what you say, no matter what uh, hesitancy you have towards Mick Cronin, if you have an opinion about his buyout or whatever it is, there's a loophole. There's ways around it. Mick's the pick. Like, it's the only common sense thing to do. And as annoying as the bring Brom home guy thing was, I think everybody, the most people around the football program wanted Jeff Brom. That's not the case with Mick Cronin by a long shot. Um, Mick Cronin's been a, a college basketball head coach for two decades and really hasn't had any success outside of one or two years. Uh, and he's had a lot of down years and he's not exactly a likable figure. If you remember five, six, seven years ago, I guess almost a decade ago now, when Louisville played Cincinnati on a regular basis, he was not he was not a well-received figure at all. He's actually kind of pesky and annoying. Um, but he does have ties to the area, uh, kind of similar to Chris Mack. He has ties to horse racing and all of that. And so that's why people bring it back up that Mick Cronin could be a possibility. But he's by no means a home run hire like, like Jeff Brom was, yet we are treating it as such. And so people are starting to wonder, who is this guy? Who's this guy that has 24 hours in a day to just sit there and, I mean, he will t- he'll fire off 300 tweets in two minutes. I've never and seen anything like it. And another 300 retweets of his own tweets. Yeah, it is. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. And so it's become, you know, whatever the the the, the phrase is, He's living. you're living long enough to see your hero become a villain at this point. All right, yeah, hold uh, on. Let me correct us here. Just okay, so someone's listening. Quote? Apparently, it's from the original Dark Knight, which yes. is one of my favorite movies. I don't know what Uncle Ben says. I thought he said something to the tune of that. I guess not. It's either you die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And he could That's have, what it is. He could have rode off into the sunset and died a hero. Easily. Could have let the account you know, fade away and just enjoyed whatever the Jeff Brom era brings for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years, right? 2023 card person of the year. Yeah, he was card chronicle man of the year last year. So he went from that to he might be the least cool person of the year in 2024. Like that's that's not a joke. But th- this all comes to a head, right? Because people are trying to figure out who this could be. Who has this amount of time? And what who does he tweet like? Like we've all been around you know the Louisville fan base is very distinct in, in a way that I don't think anybody is more present on Twitter or X as a platform than Louisville's fan base. And there's probably, I don't know, what would you say? Eight, 10, 15,000 people that are regularly on Twitter and tweeting and interacting. And so there becomes notable figures, people that you recognize by the way that they tweet and things that they say. Uh, and, and, and so this guy came out. And he, first of all, a lot of people are, are have already speculated. They think it's John Ramsey because he tweets a lot like John Ramsey. If you don't know who John Ramsey is, he is or was, I guess he te- technically still is a public figure uh, who broadcast on wave three. He had a show 
on uh, 790 here in Louisville for a few years with uh, with Mike Rutherford. Uh, really charismatic charismatic figure, maybe a little bit of a controversial figure, uh, but but a, a diehard Louisville fan, like just through and through. Like it, he he will argue with the brick wall about why Louisville's the best, and so that's why people feel like he's hinted multiple times that you know he's more of a public figure than you know of he's more uh you know tied to the program than you might think he has uh kind of these back channels where where you know he he has sources and so he essentially you know kind of was saying that with with jeff brom which is kind of easy to say because he felt like just the natural hire for anybody uh but but he's saying that even more so now for for mick cronin Finally, somebody comes out and gets an interview with this guy. And so on Tuesday, um, and, and I apologize, I need to look up this guy's name. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, is it Springer is his last name? Is it Charlie Springer? I don't remember. You texted it to me. I think it's U, I... U of L card game, Charlie Springer. I'm almost positive. Actually got, and it was really more of a, looked like he just emailed or DM'd him 30, 40 questions and brought Brum home guide you know, responded in the manner that he wished to. And so ranged anything from who are you? What's your name? How old are you? What do you do for a living? Uh, you know, how did you get started with the bring Brom home stuff and then getting into the, to the Mick Cronin stuff, but really the takeaways, here's what we learned about who this guy says that he is right. Or gal, whoever they are, who they say that they are. They say that they're a man in their sixties. They say that, they have connections in the horse racing industry that they like to do talking and once did talking publicly for a living. So is that radio? Is that TV? Are they a public speaker? Uh, what does that mean? And then um, indicated that they had connections both with the Brom family and with the Cronin family and specifically with the Cronin family through the horse racing industry. And so that was kind of, those were kind of the hints that he was dropping. But again, this all could be bullshit. They could just be completely making it up. And so then all of a sudden, once he comes out with this, people, there's an outpouring. And this is what's really just gotten my brain turning quite a bit. There's this outpouring of people saying, I thought we knew who this guy was. This is like a dude in his like 20s or 30s. Um, and, you know, he, people have seen him accent, you know, in public tweeting from this account or accidentally tweeting from, from the wrong account. Uh, as as somebody else, people put two and two together and, you know, saw who it was. Now, I'm not going to dox this person. Uh, Jake and I were talking about about uh, Catfish and how on the TV show, it's it's great how they kind of like oust these people. and They do hours of research trying to figure out who a person is uh, and, and, you know, use their their MTV magic, essentially the Neve magic to figure out who the catfisher is. Uh, and, and it's gotten me thinking, though, like if, if the BBH guy is a catfish, who is he? And so we start doing some research. I, again, I'm not going to divulge his name or his age or what he does. If you've seen the stuff on social media, you can do your own research if you'd like. I've reached out to him. You know, I said, hey, look, I, I've been told by multiple people that you're the bring from home guy. Is this true? And if so, would you like to set the record straight? I think it could be a great story if you came out and you know, kind of salvaged what you have left of this. Like, I think it's a good story. I do. Like when you're acknowledged by the coach and the athletic director as a, as a key figure in a, a major coaching search and hire, 
Like this, that's nothing, nothing to scoff at. I mean, as annoying as he was, he got the job done and he, and he is thoroughly convinced that he will again with the basketball coaching hire. Uh, and so I reached out to this guy and this guy basically said, you know, was very polite and said, it's not me. I don't know how the rumors got started. And, you know, we just had a cordial back and forth and that, that was about, about it. I've reached out to other sources and they've indicated, no, he's just lying. <laughs> like this is the guy. And so it's fascinating to me. I, I want to see if it's going to crash and burn or if this guy's going to be able to keep it going. Um, I will say from what I've found, I think that a good reason why, if this is who it turns out to be, a reason why you would not let any of this get out and deny, deny, deny is because this guy has a job where he should not be posting as much as he, he posts, if that makes sense. And that's why people are like, okay, well, it makes sense if it's a guy who's retired and he's got a lot of money and yada, yada, yada. Um, so it's interesting. The other theory that I came up with, Jake, and then I'll let you take your run at this as well. The, the best theory I can come up with is that it's more than one person. I think that's the, the most logical theory, either that or it's a bot. Like where somebody is essentially, you know, takes, takes a bot and directs it at certain accounts. And as soon as they tweet, then he just responds, you know, mix the pick or whatever it is. Uh, so th those are kind of my theories. Uh, do, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, I, I, like, I think that this could be, and, and this is what I'm envisioning as well. Like, I think this could seriously be like a, a full length documentary on the rise and potential fall of this person, especially like I, I love the angle of if it's a catfish. Like, I love the angle of if he's just been completely lying this entire time, had all of these people fooled just so that he could, you know, have the vindication of, of, of getting the hire that he wants. You should DM him. I have an idea here. If Mick turns out not to be the pick, he must let us know who he is. But if Mick ends up being the pick, he's allowed to remain anonymous right off into the sunset until we need a women's basketball coach or whoever he wants to talk well, about. And he says that he's that confident, right? Yeah, exactly. He's that confident that Mick is going to be the pick. That's not a bad idea. Now, I, I did. This is one thing I left out. I did DM the actual BBH account today and just say, hey. We will grant you complete anonymity. Anonymity is that the anonymity? An right anonymity. Thank you. <laughs> you sound like the you sound like the little fish from Finding Nemo. And then anonymity. Yeah. No. We we'll we'll let you remain completely anonymous. You can come on with your voice disguise, black screen, whatever you want to do. Share whatever information you want to divulge, and just let you get out. You know, let us kind of just pick your brain for a second. You know. How are you able to do this? How are you able to tweet so many times and not get banned? How are you like, how is this possible? I don't even know how it's possible. Uh, he said, no, he said, you know, we, you know, I, you know, I, I appreciate your work and whatever else, but no, it's just not, you know, and, and, you know, I don't blame him, especially if it's this guy that again, people are saying that they're very certain that it is this man. Um, it, it, it would be it would kind of be kind of a kill shot to him. Like, I, I think it would actually significantly impact his life in a negative way if it turned out to be him and it got out, if that makes sense. Like it was a, it was public knowledge that it was him. Uh, and so I'll leave it at that. I think I'm I know who you're talking about. I'm sorry. 
I think I know here. Are you talking about Elon Musk? Is it Elon Musk? It, it is Elon Musk. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, I was thinking it would, it would ruin his career, but now that you've just kind of come out with it. I think, I think he's already tried enough to do that. I will say, as you were speaking, just went through his profile. This doesn't include all of his replies, just replies to his own tweets. How many times do you think he's tweeted today? Not even 24 hours, just today. Just since like he woke up this morning. Mm-hmm. And th- does this include retweets? Uh, it includes his retweets and it includes any time he's replied to his own saying Mick is the pick. But I didn't look at his replies to anyone else. Ballpark 700. <laughs> Only 55, which actually surprised me. But again, that doesn't include all of his replies to random tweets. So you're probably right. It probably right. So, 700s. Right. Uh, so just just his tweets that are, are a direct original tweet out mm-hmm. to the world. We'd have to go. It would probably take us a solid 10 minutes just to go through the last 24 hours of his responses. And that's really where he does most of his damage is in those replies. Um, but yes, that, that's, that's the, the latest on the BBH guy. I'm obsessed with it. Like, I, I know it sounds so silly, but I think that it's something that if you could truly tell the story um, in a professional way, I think it's something that that other fan bases would be fascinated by. Like this is a guy that's been mentioned on like national broadcasts. It's a, you know like it's a guy that's been that that has been in local news. So he's he's acknowledged like he's a presence that that that's acknowledged. And so I just want to see how it ends. I want it to come to some sort of like exciting end. I don't want it to just fade away. I don't want it to die. Uh, and yeah, I, I do like your idea of if Mick is not the pig, you know, like what, what is the not consequence? Is he just going to shut it down? You know, he, he said in, in his, his written interview that he highly doubts that that would happen, but if it does happen, he'll accept it and learn to move on. I just, uh, man, I, I would like to come up with something, even if it's not him revealing himself. Um, but at the same time, if he's that confident, you know, I don't know if you saw it. So Jacob and I went back and forth with, with this gentleman. I told him, I bet him, you know, we will donate $500 to a charity of his choosing. If he donates $500 to humane society, if, if it is not Mick, you know, so if it is Mick, we'll donate to whatever charity he chooses. If it's not Mick, he donates to us. And basically he said, let's up the ante. Let's make it something that was a high enough price that like, if we told Megan and Taylor how much it was, then they'd probably leave us. So yeah, you would have that. You'd have as much free time on Twitter after that. Yeah, no, no, we, we'd be picking up second jobs. um, If, if that is indeed what happened. So we just kind of left it, but it does fascinate me. Like, is he actually, so there's another aspect of this as well. He posts a lot. Uh, bets that he places. Uh, I think the craziest one that I saw was uh, when they, when Louisville hosted Virginia, he placed something like a, it was something outrageous. It was like ten, twenty thousand dollars, something stupid, on Louisville money line against Virginia, and it was like like say it was ten thousand. I don't remember exactly what it was, uh, but it was like he bet ten thousand to get like ten thousand three hundred back or something crazy. It was something ludicrous. I'd have to look it up. Point being, this is a guy that's sharing 
these these wagers as if they're his. But if it truly is this other man, I I, I have a very very hard time believing that he has an occupation where where he'd be able to place these kind of wagers. So it's interesting yeah. where he's like, no, two, you know, bet make it two thousand dollars, make it three thousand dollars, let's go. Yeah, in the betting community, there's a lot of people that will fake their uh, their bet slips. They'll increase the money or they'll change who they bet on or whatever, just to especially like the professional gamblers. So it's not that hard to do in Photoshop to change a ten dollar bet into a ten thousand dollar bet. So I would doubt that that's like the go to move of someone that doesn't want to actually make the bet happen is be like, well, let's make it let's make it significant enough to where I care. Ten million. Right. Right. (laughs) Let's just let's just up the ante just a little bit. Just. Something that like could would actually kind of make me sweat. Yeah, like, I uh, in general, this BBH guy. Before we wrap up, like I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't dislike him. He's entertaining to an extent. I- extremely annoying. Um, kind of odd. I mean, I guess I understand why he's trying to hide his identity, uh, especially if you say it would affect his career and everything. I don't think any employer would be happy to see that their employee is tweeting literally five hundred times a day. So I can't blame it. It's interesting. I don't think I don't know if we'll ever know, but. I guess we'll see. I'd love for him to put his money where his mouth is. And if Mick is the pick, he gets to remain anonymous right off into the sunset. If not, he's got to let us know who he is. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. I mean, look, if Mick's the pick, I mean, this dude is swinging the biggest dick in town. Like Mm -hmm. he's, he is, you know, riding off. He truly will ride off into the sunset. And he's said as much, you know, this is, he feels this is the last time that this will happen, especially because of his confidence in one Mick Cronin to turn the program around. He's going to come in and win 10 national championships. And, you know, we'll, we'll be set for, for the next millennium. Um, in all seriousness, I, I think we do have to get into a little bit of Louisville basketball very briefly. Fine. S- since the last time that we spoke, Louisville has suffered three more defeats. Um, <laughs> and they've basically all been pretty much the same. Louisville starts off the game looking like they have no idea what the fuck they're doing. Kind of keeps it close until close to halftime. The opponent just blows the doors off in the final five minutes in the first five minutes of the, the final five of the first, first five of the second half. Louisville gets down 20, 25, 30 points, and then tries to stage a comeback, but then falls short. And it's just basically the same. It's the same thing over and over. I mean, do you have any narratives for this team at this point out, outside of basically every game kind of feeling the same at this point i guess good fight i mean we're not seeing him give up but it's also it's just so strange like when i played basketball if we were down by 24 points i wouldn't give up but my effort level would probably drop but it seems like with this team once they get down 20 they're like we got them right where we want them now let's put the gap now let's put it like the gas pedal push the throttle didn't say that correctly i it's it's the strangest thing it's like start off semi-competitive first five minutes start to go down five to 10 in the next 10 minutes. And then that last five minutes of the first half, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but we're probably getting outscored in the last five games, like 60 to 15, like it's awful. And then second half comes out and we start to pick it up, but then just don't have enough gas to actually compete at the very end of the game. So it's uh, admirable that we're continuing to fight in these games but just just still still really frustrating and the execution's still not there i was about four or five rows from the floor for the virginia game and i can confidently tell you jake that's the worst college basketball game and by the way i spent many years at spalding university 
who has one of the worst D3 basketball programs in the country. So I know bad basketball when I see it. Besides, you know, just playing pickup friends with my buddy buddies, like organized basketball. That is one of the worst games, especially the first half, one of the worst halves of basketball I've watched. And it took everything in me not to stand up and walk up to the court and say, what the hell are you doing? Like they, it was the apathy was at such a high level. It was almost breathtaking. Uh, and Louisville did stage a little bit of a comeback in the second half, but there's got to be at least somewhat of an element of say you're Virginia or, you know, NC state or North Carolina or one of these teams that has the ability to just kind of name their score against Louisville. I, I feel like, th- you know, for them, they almost go into cruise control. You know, I mean, think about the Kentucky game. We talked about, you know, there's two, three, four games where Louisville, you know, got down 15, 20 points to the half and then won against a really quality opponent like like a Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky. They they beat them by like one in the second half. <laughs> and you can't really see that as a win because, I mean, Kentucky got up by 20 and just called off the dogs. And that feels like that's what every team is doing. Now, Clemson almost did it in epic fashion the other night because Louisville almost made the, the, the full comeback uh, at, at the end. But but I just I don't think I've ever seen anything like some of these starts of these games. Like it's it's like truly it truly is breathtaking. Like it's it's the most helpless feeling because you know you have this group of no matter who's injured, you know that you have somewhat of a talented roster on the floor. Like you can't tell me that Clemson's roster is infinitely more talented than Louisville's, even with all the injuries and, and you know suspensions and uh, transfers away from the program, even with all of that, you can't tell me that Clemson's roster is that much better than Louisville's or Georgia tech, you know, George, they'll face Georgia tech soon. A team like Georgia tech is, is that much better than, than Louisville's roster. Uh, and so that's, you know, it, it's, there's no semblance of, you know, it, it seems like at times they don't care. It seems like at times they just don't give a full effort. It seems like if a team gets, you know, scores two baskets in a row on them, all of a sudden it's going to just boil into Louisville turning the ball over three times and that leading to a, a 12-0 run or something like that. It, it, it always just it, – it, they, they're never able to kind of combat. Like once, one, once a team throws a punch, they're never able to kind of punch back. They just kind of lie down a little bit. And then it's kind of like, you know, if you, if you want to use a golf analogy, for instance – it's like people always say you don't want to birdie the first hole because then the expectation is set. Like you'd almost rather start off with the first hole being the hardest hole on the course and be like, all right, we got that shit out of the way. We got a bogey out of the way. Let's go make some birdies. Like that's, that's almost what this team is like. They almost have that attitude of like, yeah, I kind of like being down twenties because there's no pressure and we can, you know, we, we can, you know, try to stage a comeback. If we win, it's going to be thrilling. If we lose, then, you know, we're a losing team anyways, we're losers anyways. So uh, yeah. And, and any, Final thoughts on where, where, where we stand with this team right now. Is, is there anything salvageable? I mean, I think we have some pieces if, a, if the right coach comes in that I think can become an NCAA tournament team in year one easily, especially if he brings a recruit or two or a transfer or two into the program. And I think I think we have the talent and the pieces to, to be able to be a, a competitive, competent team. I mean, just thinking about the players, I mean, Mike James, the last few games, I don't know. It's been like he was I really loved him. His, I guess, red shirt freshman year coming off of the um, Achilles injury. I, I loved his energy. I loved his effort, loved how he attacked the rim. Like The last few games, it's just like 
he's almost turned into what Trey White was early in the year, where it's like he gets the ball and he's just a black hole and he's putting his head down and he's just forcing plays. And like he's just driving in and like he's good at forcing contact. But I think referees are catching on to the fact that like right. when he drives in, he's flailing his arms, he's flailing his body into the defender to try and draw that foul as opposed to just attempting to make a layup, which would be a lot easier. And he'd still probably get fouled. So that's been frustrating. I will say, uh, Zan Payne, we have talked, we've talked a lot about Mr. Payne, um, but actually a, a pretty solid last three performances started out yep. at Duke. He, he, I was at the game. He got a charge. He got a steal off an inbounds pass, like good effort. And then solid effort in the Clemson game as well. So for as much as I've spoken poorly of Zan Payne, he's actually not played poor, bad at all the last few games. Yeah, I mean, and, and people got on us very quickly uh, on social media when we made comments about, I mean, Zan's play was impressive in the sense that he actually looked like he gave a damn. And there are a lot of times where Louisville goes through these lapses where they just could not give two shits. And especially when you look at how bad he was, uh, in in a few particular games this season, yeah, you know, I think at Wake Forest was was the one that really caught everybody's eye. Uh, you know, he started against Wake Forest. Was it was, it was Wake, right? Yeah, yeah. He started at, at Wake Forest, played seventeen minutes, sixteen, seventeen minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And then and really, I mean, put, just put up straight zeros. And then there's just a full highlight tape of his terrible defensive effort. And Kenny comes out after the game and says, "Well, I really liked what he gave us on defense." Like there's do not gaslight me about this, Kenny. Like you can go and look at the tape and just see the effort in the defense and that's gone away. And so that deserves at least some praise. Like I'm not going to praise somebody for just giving the, the, the baseline effort for what should be expected, but I will praise somebody for, I clearly he's been a much better player and a much better. He's actually been, you know, a, 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 key figure on the floor at, at times for Louisville. Uh, and, I, and I know that's have him in than, than Donilo at this point or Danilo. Yeah, yes. I don't know what we're going for. I'd rather have him in than Danilo. I mean, that, that man is just constantly making the wrong play. And I think he's afraid to shoot layups. I don't know what yeah. it is. I've never seen someone struggle so much from two feet away from the basket. And like, I, I broke down his high school tape. He was a talented, skilled offensive player. And now he can't even make layups. It's very, very, very frustrating to watch. Donalo Dilo, we're gonna call him Dilo because now we're we're getting some pushback. There's a controversy between Donalo and Danilo. Uh, the ACC, especially uh, what, what's the guy's name on ACC Network? Uh, Durham, West Durham. Oh man, he loves drawing out that Donalo like Don dish soap. Uh, apparently, I, I whatever we won't get into the pronunciation pronunciation thing, but Dilo this year is kind of like uh, Sidney Curry last year. Where it was like, all right, that guy could have some talent, could have some potential. And it's like he got here and the coaching staff just like sucked all the talent out of him. It is the mo- most confounding thing. But you're right. I mean, at, at least from an uh, awareness of where he's supposed to be, a confidence level uh, and an attention to detail level and uh, overall effort level. Zan Payne has been infinitely better than Donalo, D'Lo, uh, so, and, and at least in the last three or four games. Uh, yeah, it's uh, again, it, it's, it's silly that we're even talking about this. Yeah, but. It's sad. It's sad to be promoting the coach's son. That's a walk on as playing harder than he was. So uh, I guess the only other good thing, a uh, lot of offense rebounds last game, which was so strange yeah. to me because we were getting dominated defensively by their post players. 
but then offensively we grab what 22 offensive rebounds so it's been weird but we don't have to talk about this anymore there's plenty of more interesting things to speak about there are literally thousands of things that i'd rather be doing but we would be doing a disservice if we didn't at least mention the games that we hadn't talked about yet um dude it is uh it, it is just i cannot wait to get through this next month month and or you know next five weeks or so uh, and just turn the corner and when we come back from break we're going to talk a little bit about what's on the horizon for Louisville basketball as far as the coaching search i think we it's a foregone co- conclusion that kenny payne's going to be gone although it feels disingenuous in some senses to already be talking coaching search while you still have you know a what a quarter of your season left a third of your season left at the same time, though, it's it's time we had this discussion. So when we come back, we will talk Louisville basketball coaching search, including everyone's favorite, Mick Cronin. Mr. and Mrs. is for everyone. From a more traditional 90 proof to a cash drink that's smoother. In 2013, Russ going to the hole. And boy, could we use that right now. Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon covers tastes, all different tastes of preferences, six different bourbons that they're offering. Be among the first to try Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon, the official bourbon of State of Louisville and the Starting 502 podcast on shelves anywhere you find your liquor. And now online at Mr. and Mrs. Bourbon.com. Go check it out. $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Jake, we've tried to do this a few times now. Uh, as I mentioned last week, Jacob Lane and I actually recorded probably an hour plus of of pretty solid conversation and material on potential coaching candidates because we legitimately were that convinced that Kenny Payne was getting fired around Christmas time, uh, right? You know, around the time of the UK game when they had that long break at the end of December. That didn't happen. And so that conversation is still floating out there somewhere. I know that you and Jacob had a bit of a conversation about coaching candidates, but let's dive into this as far as, you know, what we know, uh, which is not a lot. It's not a lot. Um, the the one thing that I would probably, I, I would have this conversation just to get it out of the way. And then we can talk about this guy's credentials more than anything. Uh, the 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 huge name right now that everybody's talking about is Chris Beard, uh, and and you know what, rightfully so because he's been incredibly successful everywhere he's been. Now I think he's been at what is it five schools in ten years or something of that nature. It's it, he it's been pretty volatile for him. He's gone wherever the money is and wherever the next big jump is. 
Uh, and Chris Beard feels like he's a guy that's going to get scooped up by somebody. You know, he was the head coach at Texas, uh, you know, was fired with cause at Texas, ends up at Ole Miss um, in a pretty crappy situation and has turned things around right away at Ole Miss. And so when you talk about hottest names in the country, names that potentially instill fear in a Kentucky or a Duke or a North Carolina or a Kansas, it's Chris Beard. And there's a lot of these schools like a Kentucky where you have a John Calipari that maybe in the next two, three, four years, he's going to be thinking about retirement. Uh, maybe a Bill Self could be thinking about retirement. Like there's, there's guys that may be on the way out. Uh, look at a Michigan. They are probably going to be in need of a coach. I think they've lost nine of their last 10, something like that. Uh, so uh, Michigan State as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of teams out there that, that are going to be looking for a coach. And I think all of them, regardless of, of if he ended up at Louisville or wherever, uh, they'd still be looking at Chris Beard and trying to secure a guy like that. Uh, the, the obvious issue is the reason that he was fired at Texas. Uh, and, and that's something that I think you and I and um, you know many, many people around the program uh, do not condone at all. Um, so for, for people that aren't aware of the situation, feel free to do your own research, do your own studying up, but Essentially, you know, Chris Beard was engaged uh, when he was at, at Texas. And there was an incident where his fiance called the police, uh, had them come to the house, and the police reported that she had bruising on her body, that she had been strangled, that she'd been thrown across the room. Uh, there, you know, visible bite marks on her body. And Chris Beard was arrested and taken to jail and then bailed out. He was fired from his job at Texas pretty promptly. Uh, he, you know, he was suspended for, uh, you know, for a little bit and then fired from his job. And then as soon as that happened, his fiance came out and said, it was, it wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't really, what I said didn't actually happen. I feel terrible for drawing all this negative attention to Chris Beard and, and to the university of Texas. And basically, you know, Chris basically landed on his feet at Ole Miss and that was kind of that, right? And it, it's it's difficult to have because on the one hand, as everybody, you know, especially people who are huge proponents of his, like to indicate, you know, the charges were dropped. He was found, in theory, he was found innocent uh, of, of, you know, of, of what he was initially accused of, right? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, there, there are, plenty of statistics out there and many incidents that affect, you know, it may affect your life, Jake. I know it affects my life. Uh, it's affected plenty of people who are listening's lives, uh, you know, and people that they love's lives. Uh, and you know, that is the, the role of abuse, physical or non in a relationship and, uh, people's dependency on others. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of boxes that are checked with Chris Beard being a prominent, uh, men's basketball head coach with him making a lot of money. And there, there's a lot of reasons why somebody like his, I, I believe she's now his ex fiance. I don't either anymore. I couldn't dig that up. Uh, I, I looked at her social medias and that kind of stuff. I, it does not appear. He's definitely not married and doesn't appear they're together. Uh, I know that he has three daughters, maybe from a previous marriage. Uh, but that's about all I know outside of that. I did see on his old Texas bio that, uh, he his fiance was listed in his bio and now at, at Mississippi, 
his his fiance is not listed. Uh, so I, I would assume that means that that he's probably single. Um, with all that being said, though, uh, there's it's not taken lightly. I, I guess is is what where where I'm I'm putting this, and I feel that based on the words of of Josh Hurd, Louisville's athletic director, and of the administration at the University of Louisville. I would find it really hard to believe that Chris Beard is even a guy that's in the running because of, of those. Uh, there's lots of very good candidates that we'll get into tonight uh, that don't have that kind of baggage. Now we can get into maybe some like, you know, level two or level three violations, that kind of stuff with the NCAA, uh, which a lot of these coaching candidates. And again, when I say candidate, I'm talking more about people that we have that people that anyone in in the public eye can assess and 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 look at and say okay that would be a great candidate for Louisville. We're not talking about like we have any inside information that you know Scott Drew's the 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 head you know the leading candidate or Eric Musselman or Jerome Tang or whoever it is, right? Uh, you know, when I say candidate, I mean in our eyes, guys that should be candidates, the guys that you have to get a, give a look, right? And and so to in in my eyes and from Everything that I've heard from behind the scenes, Chris Beard is, is not a guy that Louisville's even considering. Will that change? I don't know. There, it's a volatile situation. Anybody that comes out and says that Louisville's targeting this guy, this is their number one guy, I feel like that would that's a mistake. Uh, we saw a guy from, that from that's an Arkansas insider today came out and said that he felt or that he had heard from uh, a source that. Mick Cronin was Louisville's number one target. And he mentioned that Mick Cronin's buyout drops on April 1st from 20 million to 16 million. Uh, that that's another tweet, BBH burner. It was not a BBH burner. <laughs> it was actually an Arkansas rivals guy, I believe. Yeah. He had about 10,000 followers, seemed like a credible source. After about 20, 25 minutes, that tweet was deleted. And then I posted on Twitter, you know, all right, this guy, you know, a screenshot. This guy posted this. It was deleted. We followed each other, exchanged DMs. He basically said that uh, he, you know, believed what his source was telling him, but that he was asked to remove it, and he thought it was the professional thing to to do as he was asked, essentially. Did he say who asked him to remove it? He did not say who asked him to remove it, but it sounded like maybe it was some hearsay information that he thought that he could report as maybe factual, um, but... From what I took away from that, I don't think that there that has much legs, if that makes sense. Uh, and I also don't think, you know, while we're on the subject as well, I don't think that anything that you hear from Truly Donovan has a lot of legs. From and I, I kind of like hinted at this on social media yesterday. I think that I've surmised that Truly Donovan, and for those who don't know, <laughs> this is such a silly thing to have to explain in 2024. There's a man who is an insider somewhere out in the world who is probably very involved in college basketball. Uh, and he has become so well-known by his moniker, Truly Donovan, that he has his own website now. And he is often very correct about um, his opinions on, or, you know, his predictions about recruiting, about coaching searches. But because he doesn't have to live up to the name that he's established, you know, his fake name, 
And because nobody knows who he is, he can just say whatever he wants. And oftentimes it's not true. And nowhere has he been less accurate about his predictions than with Louisville. He went as far as like six or eight months ago to say that he's going to stop posting about Louisville because he feels like whoever his, you know, whoever's providing him inside information uh, is not a credible source. Uh, that tells me a couple of things. Number one, nobody knows what's going on with with the Kenny Payne and the staff. It's been the least transparent uh, coaching staff that I've seen in my time, um, you know, in 30 years of, of following Louisville sports very closely. Uh, no, nobody's getting information from the staff except for maybe one or two people who really have to kiss some very serious ass to get any sort of information. Uh, and, and number two, it, it seems to indicate based on things that I hear versus things that, that this truly Donovan guy posts on his website and on social media, uh, I would surmise that he is, he works somewhere in the landscape of coaching agents. I would think that he has very serious connections if he, if not being an agent himself. And the reason I say this is because a lot of times people like to float information out there that a coach is interested in, in a, in a job. And then it turns out that really, you know, it's kind of a play to, to get some more money uh, that worked very successfully for Bruce Pearl two years ago when Louisville was looking for a coach to replace Chris Mack. Uh, Bruce Pearl was more than, um, you know, he, he was very heavily rumored to at least, you know, be having talks or whatever, but really probably what it was, was he has a good agent who was floating a lot of rumors out to a lot of different sources and Bruce Pearl had, you know, didn't want, had probably had no idea what was going on. Uh, and that's what a lot of good agents do. And so that's why I think that, that Trilly has at least some sort of foot in the agency world. Because the names that he's putting out there as supposed candidates for Louisville, I don't think there's any way that he would know that. I, 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 based on what I've heard, based on the way that Josh Hurd rolls, I don't think that he's just like putting out there um, purpose, purposefully any accurate information about the coaching search. And if you ask me honestly, I would say that there is, there's a good chance that we know a few guys that won't be on the list for Josh Hurd, but there's a lot of guys that will be on the list for Josh Hurd and that he's not, he's probably not narrowed his focus at all. If, if, if I had to guess, and again, a lot of this is just from experience. A lot of this is from things that you hear from people who are close to the, to the source. But the reality is I'm not sure that that Hurd himself or that any, any administrators at Louisville know 100%. Uh, and so with that, Jake, I'll kind of turn it over to you. You've taken yeah, a lot of time is... to kind of put together a, you know, a spreadsheet, if you will, a, a database, uh, and we'll, uh, hopefully you're going to allow me to post this at some point on the website because I'm, I like what you've done here. Essentially, explain to the people how you're breaking this down and how you're making decisions on grading who we perceive as the best coaching candidates. Yeah, I was going to say, like you said, this is coaching money-making season right now. It's not about wins. It's just about keeping your coach. At Louisville's inability to successfully hire a basketball coach since Rick Pitino has cost athletic departments probably over $100 million in facility upgrades and promotions 
extensions and contract extensions, all that. We've made so much money for other coaches. So I think you're right. I think there's a solid list of guys that I think could potentially be candidates, but I, I think it's unrealistic to say I know Mick Cronin is the pick or I know Chris Beard is the pick. They very well could be, but I think right now it's just too early in the process. But yeah, made a UofL coaching search Google sheet where basically broke down 10 names that I've been seeing a lot of or 10 names that I think make sense and broke them down by their overall record, tournament success, recruiting classes, transfer portal classes, their contracts, their buyouts, and then kind of graded them on my view of hiring feasibility and then what I would rate the grade. So I'll break it down, my 10 names that I chose, and I'll probably add even more as the season goes on. But it's basically ranked by who would make me the happiest as a hire, just strictly based on a basketball coach. Scott mm. Drew, number one guy. A++ hire is number one. We've got Chris Beard, who I know off the court has a lot of issues, but just strictly from a basketball coach standpoint, I'd still rate that an A hire. Agreed. Eric Musselman, third. Jerome Tang, fourth. Then we've got Iowa State's TJ Otzelberger, fifth. Nate Oates, sixth. Kind of tied in there, all like Musselman, Jerome Tang, TJ Otzelberger, Nate Oates. Those are all kind of like a second tier to me. Top tier would be Scott Drew, and then underneath that would be Chris Beard. After that, some, I guess, lesser talked name, spoken of names besides Mick Cronin. Uh, I like Jamie Dixon. I think he would I think he would be a solid hire. Then we got Mick Cronin, Dusty May, and Lamont Paris from South Carolina. So, I mean, there's a lot of names here. And basically, I just broke them down on their overall record, how successful they've been in the tournament. Because at the end of the day, if you go 38-0 and then you lose in the Final Four, as a fan, you're unhappy. Or if you go 35 and five and you lose in the round of 32 or the round of 64, you're you're unpleased by that season. So that's really big. And then transfer portal classes, there's only data the last two years because that's really the only two years that have counted. Um, but that's honestly probably more important than recruiting classes are right now. So uh, I'll let I'll, you can ask me whatever questions you want, kind of uh, based on this sheet, but uh, sure, there's, sure. there's so many good names out there and anyone is an upgrade over what we have right now. We're at a kind of a crossroads in college basketball in a sense that there's not a ton of guys besides, you know, you have John Calipari, you have Bill Self, uh, you have Tom Izzo. There, there's a, maybe a list of maybe four or five guys that are just entrenched in, in their jobs. They'll probably be there until they retire. Uh, there's not really any realistic people out there that would be able to, to take them away from their jobs. And once those guys are out, there's a new crop of coaches coming in. And so it's an interesting time in college basketball because you can be an athletic director that makes an unbelievable co uh, home run hire and it could be none of the guys that are on this list. You know, there could be a guy out there that that Josh Hurd is considering that's, you know, a, a up-and-coming assistant at, at a high-level program. Uh, you know, it could be a guy who, you know, is at, at a lower, you know, a really successful coach at a lower-level program. There, there's a lot of different areas that you can pull from right now. When Louisville hired Rick Pitino uh, back in 2000, 2001, it was the the landscape was so vastly different than what it is now, uh, and even when they hired Chris Mack, uh, you know what was whatever that was six seven years ago now, uh, you know Chris Mack was was 
he was really seen as as the only hire to make. And, and so as names like that sort of start to dissipate, yeah, there, there's a lot of good coaches out there. But even if they, you know, even if it's not a splashy hire, even if it's not a Scott Drew or a Chris Beard, Eric Musselman, one of those guys, they, you could make a really good hire that could be like a Jeff Waltz, you know. And, and I think that a lot of what you what you're looking at right now is, um, you know, what what culturally fits. Like, who's a guy that can not only win, but he can come in and truly embrace the fan base. I think that's such a crucial element. I mean, look at the way that Jeff Walls rebuilt the, the women's basketball team. I know that the expectation, you know, that might be not setting expectations in the right place, but look at all the things that he changed and look at how engaging he made Louisville women's basketball. I mean, that's a, that's must, that's a must have ticket. Like if you're a Louisville fan, like it, you, no matter the season, you will enjoy going to a women's basketball game. Not to mention that they've only lost nine times at home in the last decade. Uh, so there are other examples of that on campus as well. I look at what uh, DBK has done with the volleyball team. You look at what Arthur Albiero has done uh, with, with swimming and diving. That these people have come in and taken programs that are essentially you know nothing before they got there and turned them into powerhouses. Look at Dan McDonald. Look at how engaging he is with his program. Look at how entertaining he is. Look at how many guys he puts in the league. It's 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 fascinating to watch and keep up with. Louisville's a di- or Louisville basketball is a, a different animal in a sense that, you know, there's already this established excellence. So the bar is raised that much higher. And that's why there's this vitriol uh, and kind of hatred going back and forth on both sides of the Chris, Chris Beard situation. Because people look at, at college basketball and they see all of the, the, you know, grimy, crappy scummy things that people do to win in college basketball you know it's very much college basketball is very much a blue chips type of type of situation in in many instances and even with the advent of nil and the transfer portal it's it still kind of maintains that level of kind of scumminess just in different ways right Uh, and so i think it's it's people perceive it in a different way because all they want is to win. They want that feeling of, of winning and success again. And they don't give a damn if, you know, you're Bill Self and you got, you know, making it rain stripper pulls at, at, at Midnight Madness. Like they don't care if it's, you know, some of these coaches that have had uh, recruiting violations and infractions because they see it as if you're not playing dirty, then you're not going to win. I get that in a sense, but I think that there's a real opportunity here. Uh, to do what Josh Hurd believed that Kenny Payne could do. And that's to go out and get a guy that could be a program changer from a cultural aspect, a guy that could come in, embrace the fan base, reunite people, which is what is so needed right now. Uh, and, and really kind of re you know, fire up and refuel this, this, this fan base, this community, uh, and ultimately instill confidence in the players right now. You're, you're not seeing at any phase of the game under, under Kenny Payne. Uh, and so that's what I look at. And and, and it, I guess that's my question to you, Jake, is when, when you look at these guys, I know we have all the numbers, we have all the data, but do you look at any, any of these guys and think like, okay, that's a guy who could come in and, and immediately revitalize the fan base. 
I mean, there's uh, like you said, there's there's so many good options. I mean, the one that I always come back to, I just struggle with the feasibility of it, is Scott Drew. I mean, took a Baylor program that was absolutely nothing before him and has turned them into one NCAA championship, two Elite Eights, two Sweet Sixteens, making the tournament literally, I think, 10 straight years, if you don't count the COVID year where no one made the tournament. So, I mean, he makes the most sense. He's got the tournament tournament success he recruits at a high level he's consistently top 15 top 20 in recruiting his transfer portal isn't as good but when you're recruiting that well you don't need it as badly his buyout it's hard to tell because he's a private university so you don't know what that is and i know that's going to be a huge factor for louisville and the fact that he's been at baylor for 20 years they just got him a brand new arena so it makes it difficult to maybe convince him to come. But I mean, that's the name that I keep coming back to. I struggle with the feasibility of getting him. But if you look at an ability to turn around a program, an ability to lead a program, it's, I mean, it's Scott Drew. They're other great names like Musselman's great. Nate Oates is great. They recruit so well. They're in the transfer portal like crazy, but their ability to coach and their attitude at times uh, and their ability to control their team, especially with Musselman now having some really weird issues at Arkansas. Um those are drawn into questions for sure. A guy like Jerome Tang, successful, has the highest win percentage of any of these coaches listed. It's uh, 0.727, so winning 73% of his games, but he's only been there for a season and a half. Uh, so, I mean, Scott Drew's the one that's just home run higher, knock my socks off. I'll, I, might, I might pass away if we make that kind of hire. But there are a lot of other solid names that I think with the resources and the program that Louisville is could easily get the job done. I'll tell you what, and and this is, you know, I won't divulge any specifics or anything like that, but I can tell you that I, I'm very highly confident that Chris Beard is, is not in consideration for this job, number one. And number two, I can tell you with very high confidence that Louisville very desperately would want to hire Scott Drew. And I think that they would have the confidence that they can make that hire, and Louisville also has the confidence that they can bring in the money to, uh, you know, help turn things around uh, if they were to hire a guy like Scott Drew. Uh, and, and, and so it, it's so important, you know, when we were right before Kenny Payne was hired, you know, we got into that um, in the interim conversation quite a bit about who the next coach should be. Scott Drew was number one on my list. Uh, and you looked at Louisville at that time there were still NCAA infractions to be dealt with. There was still a punishment to be handed down, or so we thought. Uh, that obviously changed right before Kenny Payne's first season began. However, when Scott Drew took over at Baylor, like it was literally, you know, we talked earlier this season about New Mexico State basketball team. It was very, very similar to that. There was drugs and murder among players on the basketball team. Like it was really a situation where they probably considered shutting the program down. And Scott Drew came in and took over that program the very that very same year. Like when all of this went down in 2003, that's when Scott Drew took over the program. So you think about where Baylor was as a program when he took over to where it is now, winning national championships, going to Final Fours. Like he turned that program into a powerhouse. The one thing I'll say about Scott Drew that that kind of concerns me is I don't know if, if he has the chops to handle this fan base. And I know that sounds audacious in a sense, uh, 
but he is right now at a at in a situation where he's worshipped, right? Like it's like going back to and you know we haven't even gotten into this storyline, the whole field of sixty eight Providence uh, situation, and that we could save that for another day, I'm sure. But uh, Scott Drew at Baylor reminds me of of uh, why am I blanking on his name all of a sudden at, at, at Providence? Um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking as well. Why, why why am I forgetting his name? Ed Cooley. Good yeah, he got hired away, dude. So as, as people probably know, I had COVID a little over a month, month and a half ago. And my like names are the hardest thing for me right now. Mm-hmm. Ed, Ed Cooley at Providence, uh, how much he was worshipped. I think Scott Drew is, is very similar at Baylor. I mean, imagine telling somebody when he took over in 2003 that Scott Drew was going to win a national championship. That he was going to bring so many fans that he'd be able to erect his own practice facilities and arenas. Like, I know. Private uh, Christian school. I think they're a Christian school, right? They are. Uh, yeah. So th- there, there's that sense that I mean, they do have a lot of that donor money. They do have that, you know, that um, that Texas oil money, if you will. In this, in in the same breath, I'll say, you know, that he he may he, there may be a situation where he doesn't want to come to a place like Louisville because he really has no pressure at Baylor. Like all the pressure that he has at Baylor, at Baylor is pressure that he's of the expectations that he set for himself and his program. Uh, but it's kind of like a Denny Crumb situation where like he kind of came in, really took a, a situation where, you know, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't nothing, but they weren't even remotely close to what they are now uh, and, and turned them into a, a basketball power. I wouldn't say they're a blue blood or anything of that nature, but I mean, they're year in and year out. One of the top teams in the big 12, once again, a contender th- this season, uh, Scott Drew is an excellent, but Louisville's a different animal. I mean, and you're seeing it with the vitriol and the disgust and disappointment, and I mean, kind of rightfully so for Kenny Payne at, at Louisville. The expectations would be high for Drew here. He'd have to come in and be successful relatively click, quickly. He's not going to have the kind of six or seven year cushion that he had at Baylor, where they were pretty like you know not very good to even bad at times at Baylor when he first started off. Um, so he's not going to have that cushion. He's going to have to come in and, and be able to be impactful right away. But if you look at, at career resume, if you look at years that he probably has left, if you look at ability to uh, potentially turn things around quickly, I'm not sure there's, you know, there you can probably count on one hand, the number of guys that, that could do that, that are out there. So, I 100% agree with you on that. I think the big thing right now is the transfer portal, right? Mm-hmm. And whoever takes over this position, obviously you want to hand them the keys for the next couple of decades. Like that's, that's my opinion. Like, unless you're able to like pull off something crazy and get like a Kelvin Sampson for like, you know, a, a flyer for like three or four years, you know, something like that. You know, unless it's that kind of instance, I I, I think that you're, you're trying to play, for the long run, while also understanding that they have to come in and 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 instill hope and uh, have some sort of success, like the expectation, no matter who it is when they're taking over, people are going to expect them to come in and win a tournament game year one. And so, when you look at that, it has to be a guy that can come in and turn turn the team around in the transfer portal. Like there there are currently zero players signed in the 2024 class. When Kenny Payne leaves, you know there's going to be you know, attrition on this roster, you could be in a situation where you're having to recruit 10, 12 players 
to, to, to start a new team. If you're looking at down this list, who, who is that guy for you? Who's the guy that you think they can turn it around right away in the transfer portal? I want to start off by saying who I don't think is the guy. And one of my issues with Mick Cronin is he's not recruiting well. He's not playing the transfer portal well. 2022, unranked. That's how few transfers he had, unranked. 2023, 95th ranked transfer class. Took over UCLA in 2018. They were 17 and 16. Next year, 2019, 19 and 12. I mean, that's an okay turnaround. That is a bit of a turnaround, but that's not what you're, what the fans are going to be looking for. A seven, I guess really a two win. I guess they played a few less games, but a two win improvement. Like that's not what the, what the fans are looking for. Mm. The guys that stick out to me, their ability to recruit and their ability to dominate the transfer portal. It's the two SEC coaches. It's Eric Musselman and it's Nate Oates. I still question their ability to lead a program and to be successful, like solid coaches, though I love the way Nate Oates plays offensive basketball. But you look at Musselman, class of 2024, 26th ranked recruiting class. Class of 2023, 30th ranked, two four stars. Class of 2022, second ranked, three five stars. Class of 2020, ninth ranked with four four stars. Then you look at their recruiting class, 2023 recruiting class, ranked seventh, 2022 recruiting class ranked fifth. So, I mean, that's a guy right there that you know is going to bring in talent, is going to have the ability to flip this roster over entirely, which is what is going to have to happen. And then Nate Oates, you look at him, his recruiting classes, consistently top 15, sixth in 2024, 16th in 2023, third in 2022, 14th in 2021, 12th in 2020. You go over to his transfer portal class, last year, fifth rated class. So, I mean, that's another dude that you know can bring in talent. And same with Chris Beard. His recruiting classes haven't been as great because he's been at Ole Miss and it's a little harder to recruit there. But his transfer portal class, last year, ninth ranked, year before that, third ranked. So, I mean, those to me, the three SEC names that we've been hearing about, those are the guys that I have confidence that will be able to bring in a huge roster haul, which is most likely going to have to happen and bring in the talent necessary to make the tournament in year one. So I, I won't add anything to, I mean, I think that's perfect, man. Like that's a perfect assessment of, of who is, who is able to bring in the best talent. One thing that, that I can say to you confidently, Jake, is that whoever takes over, they will have the artillery of being able to go out and kind of get whoever they want. Uh, the, the 502 circle is, is a bigger player than a lot of people realize. Uh, they're they're a bigger players than I think people realize in, in the football world. Uh, and if they can do that in the football world, imagine how they can affect global basketball and bring in a really quality class. It's just going to be about, you know, timing. It's going to be about assessing the situation, right? And it's going to be about somebody willing to accept the help of, of, of others. Kenny Payne wanted to do, th- wanted to do things his way, his way, you know, when he brought in recruits, like he assessed the situation with Trey White. And he even said this in the post game after the Clemson game, when Trey White dropped what 29 and 14, mm-hmm. his, uh, his assessment of the situation was that's what he expected from Trey White every night when he recruited him. It, it's, it's not going to be that uh, I want guys that I already know, I already know about and that I've looked at their tape and that's, that's the guys that I want. Uh, he want that D Yeah. He wanted D Okay. That did not obviously work out at all. That's where Kenny Payne hung his hat this year. All of that is to say that the money will be there in terms of recruiting. I think that whoever is hired 
they just have to be willing to accept the help from others. That's something that Kenny Payne is just kind of, from everything that, that you hear, he's refused that. He wanted to do things his way, and this is the result. If he's if whoever the new person is has to be able to come in and be accepting of their role in recruiting in modern, you know, in, in modern day. And that is, you know, allowing, you know, allowing the the stockpile of money that people are willing to to pay to bring in quality athletes. And then you can recruit yourself out of high school and bring in the pieces to surround them that you like. I think that's a that's a perfect fit. But right now, if you bring in, say it's a Eric Musselman or, a, you know, a drone drone tang or one of these guys. Right. They're going to have to come in and be able to accept that, you know, they're going to have to accept what they're given in the portal, if that makes sense. Um, and it, it, it's become a business in certain in certain respects. And I think that if you bring in one of these bright young names, I think they'll be willing to, to listen and accept. If say, I don't know, name, name a top tier guard in the ACC right now. I'm trying to give me RJ Davis, please. And thank you. Yeah, exactly. Say it's RJ Davis enters the portal. If it say it's Eric Musselman, Eric Musselman needs to be able to accept, okay, Louisville is, has made connection with RJ Davis's handlers. He's willing to hear this offer. Are you willing to, you know, negotiate this? Essentially that's, that's how things are run now. Kenny Payne was not willing to, to hear something about RJ Davis. Right. Uh, and, and, and so, and th- again, that's an example, not literally hear something about RJ Davis, but a player of, of that caliber. Uh, and, and so I think that's, that's vital. I think that's vital going in, in, into this season. Another thing that's, that's vital to me, man, uh, again, you know, it, it's, it's making sure that, that the money is right. People need to understand, you know, there, there's, there's money that's allocated just for, for basketball recruiting. That has nothing to do with with buyouts. That has nothing to do with what's on the bottom line for U of L and their finances, right? And so, when you look at these coaches that are on this list, who is the most feasible buyout wise? Like who who who's the guy that Louisville could go and poach right now based on just the feasibility money wise? I mean, I think. It's it's got to be Musselman. I mean, some of these buyouts are hard to find, especially if they're like at a private school like TCU or Baylor. Those are almost impossible to find. But right. Musselman's buyout is public. It drops down to seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars after March thirty first, which would be around like the higher time anyway. So I mean, I think that's, the fans would be able to would be able to pitch together that. that that's that's chump change, Jay. Let, let, let's call uh let's call Josh right now. And tell I mean. Him. Presley Meyer, Jay Cook, just put our name on a building or something. We got you. Seven fifty. We can spot you, bro. I just got approved for a three hundred thousand dollars home loan. Let's let's, let's go. Just sell, sell your right house. There. Live on just live on the street outside the KFC Yum Center. Bingo. There you go. I mean, it's not that hard, Jake. Yeah, I mean, he to me. I mean, his bat is most feasible. Mick Cronin's is the least. Sixteen million dollars is what it's going to drop down to after April or no March thirtieth. But there's uh, a loophole, Jake. That There's nobody knows about. Yeah, true. Uh, another guy, Nate Oates, his buyout, I couldn't find exactly, but he was quoted when he got his contract extension back in 2022 that that's the reason I made the buyout $12 million. So obviously buyouts drop as your years and your contract go on. So I don't know what it's at right now, but a few years ago it was $12 million. 
I think that's a number that Louisville is going to struggle to touch. Uh, Jamie Dixon was $8 million buyout in 2019. Then he got an extension. So I'm sure it might be even higher at, at this point. Uh, easier buyouts are like the lower name guys, like a Dusty May. His buyout's $1 million. Lamont Paris at South Carolina. I don't know what his buyout is, but his contract is the cheapest of all these guys. And that kind of reflects whatever your contract is, your buyout's going to be similar to that. Uh, so, I mean, the numbers are hard to find. Jerome Tang's buyout's $5 million. I think that's kind of verging. I don't know what the situation is money-wise, but I think that's kind of getting to the point where it may be too much or it may be right exactly what we can't afford. But those 10, 12, 15, $20 million buyouts, I, I can't imagine this athletic program being able to afford. Yeah, I, I do. I really am curious what Chris Beards is. Uh, you know, again, some of these, as, as you suggested, some of these are impossible to find and even the reports may not be true. Whereas like a, a Louisville, you can just go and pull Kenny Payne's contract and you know the exact details of the contract. Like it's all laid out there very plainly uh, and for, for the public to see. Uh, is, is Ole Miss, are they, a, are they a private school? No, they're public. I just, I couldn't find anything on the buyout. I, I wonder if we could do an open record research. request. Can we get really yeah. journalisty? <laughs> I, uh, I had a class at TCU that literally one, one of your biggest grades was doing an open, a FOIA request, an open records request, and getting an answer or not. That was your grade. Yeah. I mean, that's part of my job working with, uh, you know, won't exactly dive into what I do for a living, but. It, it's not it typically, you know, some of these public universities can be a little bit more difficult and uh, try to, you know, beat around the bush. But for the most part, if you submit an open records request, uh, the, the, the stats are large enough that it, it's typically you get a response fairly quickly. Um, so, I didn't realize strippers did open records requests, Presley. That's that's impressive. That's really it's really bold of you. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the girls down at Trixie's, they don't they don't mind letting us know um you know exactly what's going down uh, which is which is nice of them to be transparent you know oftentimes tippers don't even or tippers oftentimes <laughs> uh um waiters don't even you know claim all of their tips i wouldn't know anything about that though um, no, i mean getting into you know i i think it, ranking wise and again you know i want you to i want you to publish this for people to actually be able to kind of sit down and break down you, this you know, the, the totality of the situation, right? Like it's nice to have 10, 12 names laid out there and see, okay, this guy did X, Y, and Z in the recruiting world, but his buyout is woo. Okay. That's a lot. Uh, you know, this guy uh, has been to X amount of NCAA tournaments. He has this winning percentage. He's beat this many ranked teams, whatever the stats are. It's nice to just be able to compare them in that sense. So, I mean, o overall, when you talk about combination of feasibility um, and actually wanting a certain coach. Is there a name that just tops your list as far as like, number one, this guy is gettable. Like if Louisville offered this guy, he, there's a 90% chance he'd take it. And number two, if they offered this guy, I'd be super comfortable with him for the next 10, 20 years. I think he's not my favorite candidate. I mean, we've been pretty explicit on that. It's Scott Drew, but the feasibility of that, I'd rate it like a C plus just because he's so comfortable at Baylor and he's been there for so long, but I, I think it's Musselman. I mean, recruiting transfer portal, a plus a plus, which is going to be so big when it comes to this program, because fans are not going to sit around for two years and watch us go 12 and 20 and then 15 and 18. Like we need results almost immediately. If this 
team isn't a tournament team or a fringe tournament team in year one, I think you're going to have a lot of the fan base turn. So I think to me, he makes the most sense getting immediate results. And again, that buyout is $750,000. That's the cheapest. I mean, that's so cheap for an A-list coach to get. So, I mean, looking at this list, combining my happiness with the hire and feasibility with the buyout, I think it's Eric Musselman. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hate to talk verbatim what you just said, but I mean, I, I Musselman kind of had like the opposite of the Kenny Payne effect. Like, you know, we talked about year one, how it was funny. You know, Musselman just, or excuse me, Kenny Payne just didn't bring in any guards. And year two, we were like, he learned his lesson. He's bringing in guards. And then you end up with Karan Davis, who never even sniffs the court, uh, and Tyler Johnson and Sky Clark, and that's it. You have Musselman, who is the polar opposite of that. <laughs> Musselman brought in too many guards this year. He's got all the guards. He he literally has every guard that Louisville wanted this year. Uh, it, it was it was almost like he was trying to send a message to Louisville in the offseason. Like, Look at what I can do. Louisville had L. Ellis, which opinions vary greatly on L. Ellis. I think that his game has dropped off significantly since going to Arkansas. I think he's a guy that has to be the number one guy. You know, the two seasons that he was at Louisville – the team didn't value winning. Uh, so he was able to, he didn't have that pressure of having the win on his shoulders. Uh, but they have L. Ellis, who is now their lead guard for the most part. Keon Minifield, who was a guy who Louisville thought they had in their back pocket. And for whatever reason, he ended up at Arkansas at the, uh, and then Khalif Battle, a guy that, uh, you know, Jacob and I went, went on about this for a long time in the offseason. We love Khalif Battle's game. Uh, dude, dude was a monster. Um, at, at his previous spot, I believe it was Temple. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so there, there are, or, I mean, and, and it's not just those guys. There, there are what five, six, seven uh, big name players on that roster playing guard. I think any one of them probably would start at a level this season. Uh, so, he's a guy who can, I mean, he he can recruit the hell out of some players. I mean, you remember when Louisville played Arkansas and Hawaii last year? They embarrassed the shit out of Louisville. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, they, they, they have, he, he has had a talented roster every single year at Arkansas and that buyout sure is, you know, that's that, that, that is one that I would like to see, you know, Louisville entertain just because of the fact that they could save a lot of money in, in that area. And that's a guy that, you know, for a fact, he's going to bring in high level talent. Yeah. Uh, and he's having, I don't know. Have you heard about the, these are all rumors. So not, particularly founded, but what's going on in Arkansas right now? Uh, so I saw that his wife responded that, and basically she said that the rumors were so getting so crazy that uh, kids were asking her daughter about it at school. I, I don't know what the rumors were, though. The rumors are wild. Apparently, they've got a player who is a homosexual, which is great, very cool. Um, no issues there whatsoever. But then apparently they brought in a kid from Houston as well, who is, possibly is homosexual. And then they've got a third guy who is also homosexual. I don't know the names, but two of, I can't remember the names, but two of the guys were allegedly dating each other on the team. And then this third guy, the transfer from Houston, is it Lamont Jordan? Is that his name? Or Tremont Mark? Is that who it is? Um, think that's who it is but i could be wrong but apparently one of the two dudes yeah it's tremont mark that were dating each other hooked up with tremont mark 
And that's caused a transfer away from the program. And Musselman has said like it's hurting his recruiting. So wild, wild, wild stuff. No idea if any of it is true whatsoever. But I mean, he's already having a bit of a bad year for his standard, at least at Arkansas. Now these rumors are coming out. His buyout's super low. The recipe is is being cooked. The meal is being cooked right there for an easy leave and come to Louisville. I mean, and it, I mean, like we said, recruiting makes sense. Transfers make sense. Gone to the Elite Eight twice, gone to the Sweet 16 twice, has never missed the tournament at Arkansas, made the tournament even. Was it was he at Nevada before this? Or is that NATO? Yes, that was Nevada. Yeah, Nevada before that, he made it three out of four years, winning record in the NCAA tournament. So I mean, it's to me, I still want Scott Drew ahead of him, but, but he is making the most sense right now to me when I look at everything. I th- I think you're absolutely right when you you know ultimately we're talking about what's the best fit. Uh, I like Eric. You know he he can be a bit of a cornball. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'll take his cornball tendencies over you know not caring or laughing things off or you know just being unserious in general or gaslighting fans. Like Eric Musselman is very forward. Uh, he's very you know he he doesn't beat around the bush. He gives you straight answers. He's not going to act like the fans are dumb or they don't know enough. You know, he, he's he's going to he's going to be that kind of Jeff Walls type of character where he ingratiates himself to the fans and obviously players buy into it. Players enjoy it. Players like it. Uh, I, I think that Jerome Tang is so interesting because he's very similar personality wise. He can be a bit of a cornball. He can be a little over the top, but I, I think that's kind of the new wave of college coaches, man. Like the the old the old wave the old you know, think about the the just hard-nosed college coaches that are out there right now. Rick Pitino, John Calipari, Tom Izzo. Like, these are old, like, hard-nosed, like, you know, make them bleed, like, you know, you know, defend until you have a heart attack type of mentality, right? And that's not necessarily these new guys, right? Like, they like to ingratiate themselves with the players and the fans. I think Eric Musselman and Jerome Tang are two guys that, that would be universally beloved. Uh, and, and and the Jerome Tang buyout is is a bit of a concern. I'm not as concerned with the the transfer portal or the recruiting with Jerome Tang because he is at Kansas State. Like, we forget, like, this is only his second year at Kansas State. He did a great job of recruiting when he was at Baylor. He was loved, and people hated to see him go when he left from Baylor for Kansas State, but it was like a – they understood it was, you know, his time had come at that point. Uh, he also checks the box of, uh, you know, I don't want to get too deep into this, but he's he's an African-American hire, uh, which, again, you know, that was a huge box that that Louisville checked in uh, their last hire in Kenny Payne. And I think that, you know, it's it should never really come down to this. Uh, but But it is nice that, I mean, players want to – be coached by someone that can, that understands their struggle, that understands what they've been through, whether, you know, and, and players come from all different backgrounds. And for so long, it was just this old grumpy white dude. And now you have these guys like a Jerome Tang who can come in and kind of get on their level, relate to, you know, them as, you know, as, as a, as a student, as a person off the court, uh, there, there, there's a lot of that, that I think that, uh, some of the old guard at Louisville, that's why they like Kenny Payne. 
And I think Jerome Tang can can be that person that, you know, players can kind of see themselves in Jerome Tang as well. Uh, I, I'm not concerned about the recruiting with him because, like I said, you know, he ingratiates himself very well with players. He's an excellent coach. And Louisville has, again, like I said, that stockpile of money that as long as he's okay with it, you know, he can – Louisville can bring in uh, some some really – a really quality crop of, of players in, in, in this offseason – uh, again, as long as he's, you know, he's down with that, if you will. So, yeah, I think we're both in agreement. You know, uh, again, we nobody knows what Scott Drew's buyout is. I can't, I can't imagine it's, you know, what uh, Mick Cronin is. I, I just would find that hard to believe. Uh, but I, I, if it's me right now at this very moment, Eric Musselman, Jerome Tang, make the most sense. Um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a Tang guy just because. I think that's a guy that could come in and be the Jeff Walls for the men's basketball program. And I really like that. I like that, you know, I think he'd put butts in seats. I think that he'd make Louisville a nationally relevant program. I think that he'd be entertaining. I think that he'd play an entertaining style. Um, I think that he'd bring attention around March and April. Uh, all that stuff I think I think Jerome Tang brings to the table. Um, and obviously, you know, he's one for one in getting to the second weekend and almost making the Final Four. Uh, so, you know, he he puts an entertaining product out there. Musselman and Tang, for me, are the two most realistic. But, you know, I mean, there there could absolutely be a guy that's not on this list that, you know, Louisville has already pinpointed as a guy that they'd like to target. Or, you know, there could be discussions with their agents or, you know, however things go on behind the scenes. So uh, any final thoughts on, on the coaching search before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, touching on Tang, I'd be happy with it. I rated him a B higher if we – Got him, and I think I put his feasibility at a B plus. I mean, I really think the only thing that stands in the way is that buyout, and I don't know what Louisville's financial situation is when it comes to that. Right. But I mean, I guess my only concern with Tang is that he is inexperienced as a head coach, and that is something that we ran into with an, as an issue with Kenny Payne. So he's one for one right now. Had an amazing season. Took K State from fourteen and seventeen before he got there to 26 and 10 elite eight run in one year. So that's awesome. I think the rest of this year will be pretty telling and will be pretty important when it comes to the case of Jerome Tang as our potential next head coach. If he can do it again, if he gets them in as a four or five seed and brings them to the sweet 16 again, or even better then I think I'd be sold. I'd be like, you know what? That wasn't a one hit wonder. He didn't just get lucky that he got Keontae George and a few other transfers that got hot in March. So I think this year will be really important for my belief in Jerome Tang but there are so many good hires out and it's kind of nice to have a bit of a freedom, not, you know, just one locked on candidate that we're like, Oh yeah, March 31st comes we're hiring. So, and so like we just are, you know, it. so it'll be interesting. I'm going to, this list will grow. This list will change as the, as the months dwell on. I mean, and the great, the it's both frustrating and awesome. Uh, The the great and terrible part about the situation is it's so volatile that we really don't know from one day or one hour to the next you know what's what's realistic and what's not uh i one thing i i'll i try not to do and i would encourage anybody not to do is not to get too up or down on you know a couple of losses or a couple of big wins uh, i think it says a lot about a coach if they can you know ex you know execute and and win big games but college basketball more than any other sport is is as crazy as it gets i mean look at north carolina this week uh you know they they have a huge game against duke on saturday and just drop an absolute clunker to Georgia Tech, one of the worst teams in the league. 
so it, it, it was it Georgia Tech. I'm sorry, Boston College. No, right? you're right. It was it was Georgia, it was Georgia Tech. Tech? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I, I don't know why why I was second guessing myself, but yes, I mean as as everybody knows, you know, you can't get too up or down about uh, a, a poor stretch in college basketball. Some of Louisville's best seasons of my lifetime, they had some really terrible stretches of basketball. Uh, that happens even under the best Hall of Fame head coaches. Uh, I wouldn't get too up or down on on one team. You know, ultimately the the uh, a stretch of five or ten games uh, for for a head coach that that you like or dislike uh, won't matter in the grand scheme when they're taking over a completely different program in a completely different situation at Louisville. Ultimately, it's about just finding the best fit. Uh, I think we've laid out pretty well for you guys what that could look like. Uh, and as we start seeing other coaches pop up on the horizon, I think we can start having those conversations as well. Uh, but that'll about, about, about wrap it up for us tonight. Make sure you give us a follow, us, especially on X, uh, Twitter, where we're the most active, at the State of Lewis, of course, at starting 502 pod make sure as always that you are enjoying mr and mrs bourbon uh, one of our our partners with the show make sure that uh you are checking out mr mr and mrs bourbon.com as well as until next time starting 502 podcast let's get out of here and let's win some games maybe i don't know let's cover the spread that's really my cover goal. the spread $5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code GAME to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code GAME for a 25 cents per gallon bonus.